and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love that you had at first. Look at that. He says these things, I see, I see you. Church, we need to hear this. One church where we've, we got a limp from the last couple years, let's be honest. We're kind of dragging a leg a little bit. He sees us. Here, here to the church in Ephesus, he says, I see that you've been patient. And I see that you've fought for, for wisdom and discernment on what is good and what is evil. It, that, that's work, to do that work. He sees that the church in Ephesus did that work. He, he sees that they spent time recognizing what was false teaching. And what lined up with scripture? These are important things. And he's like, yes, I see that you are doing that. I see that you have not given up. But along the way, along the way, as you took those masters and doctorate level courses, you left your first love. You left the very thing that you began with. And look at this next verse. This is both haunting and encouraging here. It says, remember therefore where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That's about the last thing I ever want to happen to me. It's about the last thing that I ever want to happen to us. Now remember, this is a y'all, this is a plural. This is a to us as a body. We individualize everything, but this is written to people who are found in Christ. So for us, like we are to be a light to the world. And he says, hey, you're doing all these things. You're, you're measuring good versus evil. You're finding false teaching. You're doing all this. But hey, I don't want to remove your lampstand. I don't want to stop you from being the light. And so what I need you to do is go back to your first love. And th- this is fascinating. He doesn't say go back to the things that you believed at the beginning. That's not what he says. He doesn't so go back to the things that you felt in the beginning. That's what I do. What was I feeling? I want to feel it again. He says, go back to the things that you did. What did you do in the beginning? And if you want to remain the light of the world, go back to what you did. That's telling. That is telling. So the book of Acts is where we know what the church did at the very beginning, right? Church of Ephesus a little bit later. If, you, if you'll let me do this, I'm going to jump to the, the very first church. Is that okay? Yes. Go home, do the work to look at what the church of Ephesus did. It's actually one of my favorite stories. They mess up the entire economy of, of Ephesus and get driven out because they, they bankrupt some, some iron workers, some steel workers. I, I think it's fascinating work. But we're going to go to the very, very first church to see what the very first believers did because that's what we're called back to. And some of this stuff, like if we picked and choose, chose verses, like it, it'd be a little prettier, right? But we're gonna just, I, I wanna encourage you, please do some reading this week. R- write down on something in your phone or whatever, Acts 4, we're, we were in Revelation 2, we're going to Acts 4. And then go later in Acts and read what happened in the church of Ephesus. Read both of those things and spend some time studying you and the Lord or you and your small group in the Lord. And 
like spend some time in this. But we're going to pick a couple little sections out of Acts 4 that I think really matter. The thing that had just happened is Peter and John were going to the temple. Peter and John didn't have a ton of money. Somebody said, hey, can, can you give me money? They said, silver and gold, I have none. But in the name of the Lord, how about you start walking? And this person who was spent their life outside the temple begging had to learn a new profession and had to learn a brand new way of living because every day they were brought to the temple, laid down, and then at night picked up again. And like that, it's not a good life, but they know how to do that life. And then all of a sudden, these two guys come, don't give them any money, but say, how about you do a brand new life where you can walk and where you're whole again? And... God gets up, walks, rediscovers what life is. And not shockingly, that makes some people angry. Because we know what to do with somebody when they're being exactly who we say that they should be. We know what to do when people don't change. It's when people change that we're really screwed up, right? We know what to do. Oh, you're that guy who asks me for a quarter every week. And depending on how I feel, I either give you a quarter or I roll my eyes. But as soon as you walk into the temple with me, that's different. It's inappropriate for me to give you a quarter in the temple. I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, this man is walking whole and walking where God invites him to go. We see in in verse 1 of chapter 4, as they're speaking to the people, this is Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees come upon them. Greatly annoyed, I think that's an understatement, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. This is packed with stuff. So Sadducees don't like the resurrection. So they're upset. They're, they're religious leaders. They, they know their Torah. They were okay with Jesus, really. Pharisees were more mad at Jesus. Sadducees are more mad at the apostles because they're like, hey, there's a resurrection. And like, no, that screws everything up. And so all of a sudden, these, these two, two guys are going around speaking to the people, teaching people, proclaiming that Jesus had been resurrected, and that is a rest-worthy work. What did the early church do? They, they spoke the truth. They spoke the good news boldly. And it was a threat to both the religious and the political leaders here. The religious and the political powers was seen as a threat. They're standing by this guy who is evidence of the power of God at work proclaiming the simplicity of who Jesus is to a group of people, and the number is 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children, but that is a lot of folks. And the number keeps growing, and it's more and more difficult to control a group of people who are constantly changing. They spend different. They live different. They go to different places. All of a sudden, they are not as predictable. If you think a mass of people are going to be over here, and all of a sudden they're over here, that screws everything up. And so the religious leaders are upset, and the political leaders are upset. And so they put Peter and John in jail. Why? Because that's a way to stop a movement, right? We know U.S. history, world history, uh, everywhere you go, that's what we use jails for. You put them in jail in the evening. Why? So they have to sit there all night. 
I was just reading about Gandhi. His movement was that way, reading about the civil rights. We always put people in jail at night so that they have to be there at night and magical things happen at night in jails that nobody ever knows how it happens, but it's sure meant to intimidate. And we can read in here that, yeah, the religious leaders have enough of their workday left to get upset and send someone to jail somebody, but they don't have enough of the workday left to deal with it, so they just send people to jail, hope that jail does its thing, changes Peter and John, and the trial begins the next day. In this trial, Peter, this, this denial Peter, right? The, the one who was afraid to talk about Jesus in front of a young girl at a fire, all of a sudden just he says some words towards these religious and political powers. It says in verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're going to speak boldly, make sure that is part of what you're saying. If you're speaking boldly, don't do this out of like the pizza you ate or some fascinating thing that you just drank. Don't speak boldly then. That's where you bite your tongue. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, with all boldness, please, Speak as Peter did. The rulers of the people and the elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, he slid that one in there because he's still Peter, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Boldly, filled with the Holy Spirit, he comes and says these words. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they had recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. What did the early church do? The leaders, they were common. They were uneducated. They didn't belong in the room, but they were in the room. And the leaders could not, the religious and political powers could not argue the fruit. They couldn't argue the man standing there. They couldn't. Now, the reality is in this room, there's a lot of education. Very little of it comes from the two who speak the most, but there's a lot of education in the room. There's a lot of you who have been trained how to read the scriptures. What this is saying is they didn't, like it was seen that they weren't in the room because they deserved to be in the room on their own merit. The church doesn't go into rooms because they deserve it on their own. The church goes in rooms because they're called to it. And the Holy Spirit leads them to it. And then powers get upset and invite them into other rooms. And the church keeps going and saying, hey, this is Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. That's the way the early church worked. They couldn't argue the fruit. And so these leaders told Peter and John they just had to stop preaching. And look at what happens next. Whether it's right in the sight of the Lord to listen to you, rather to God, you must judge. He turns it on these powers. 
Whether you think I should listen to you instead of God, you, you're, the, you're the judge of that one. But we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. They say, hey, you can arrest us again. If you think we should listen to you above God, arrest us again. Do what you've got to do. But I can't stop following my God. I can't stop. And all of a sudden, Peter really invites these powers to see God clearly. Hey, you're trying to judge me. This is about what God has done. You, try, you face God. You try to judge God. Now, while I think like that sounds really harsh and like they're pretty tough guys, you know what happens? Some of these people come to faith in Jesus. Peter and John were used by God to be an on-ramp into the kingdom of God for even those in power. This isn't a, hey, I despise you and you are not made in the image of God because you're in power. It's a, hey, your power I don't recognize, but you're still made in the image of God. I bow to a greater power, but you're still made in the image of God. That's a big deal. When they come across the crippled man, they extend the kingdom of God to the crippled man. When they come across those in power, they extend the kingdom of God to those in power. And they don't bow to the cripple, to to the disease that cripples, and they don't bow to the earthly power that oppresses either one. This is a lesson for us as the church. That's what the church did at the beginning. They made room for their accusers. Then they're released from jail. Because what are you going to say to that? They're released from jail. They go back to the church. The church prays and worships. And in verse 29, the prayer is, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. We stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is what they're praying for. You know what happens when, like, the sound system doesn't work and things like that here? Way too many times, I'm like, Lord, please make it work. It's so frustrating. We're we're, we're so held back. they're, They're jailing people. They're, like, throwing folks in jail. And the, the believers around, the 5,000 men plus women and children, you know what their prayer is? Yeah, just give us boldness. Not make, make them be nice to us, Dad. It's not that. Because they know they're just called to go where they're called to go. And sometimes we end up places because we're in trouble. And that's okay because we go in the Holy Spirit. We go where he leads us to go. And so they say, hey, keep these signs and wonders of your kingdom coming. Let the lame walk and give us boldness. And don't let it just be Peter and John. There was something of Peter and John's experience that people were like, hey, I want some of that. (laughs) Something happened in that jail. You read through Acts. Something happens in the life of Paul in that jail where people are like, maybe I want to go there. And the goal is not to go to jail. The goal is wherever the Spirit leads. I just want to be where the Spirit is leading. And sometimes that is the jail. And if that's where God leads me, that's where I want to go. Okay, church, that is still true. That is the first work of the church. That isn't that far off for us. There are some prophetic voices that I, that I believe 
that I trust, who are pretty sure that the jailhouse is going to hold more Christian leaders for this world to really change. And we can't be afraid of this. More and more people who are standing up for things of, of unity and things of recognizing the diversity of the body of Christ were like maybe jailhouses or definitely not other churches. There's going to be places we can go like jailhouses and there's going to be places that we can't go like some churches. And we go where we're led because that's what the church did. And that's what the church does. That is where the lampstand remains. But it's not just jailhouses. What are the difficult situations in your life that you want to push against? Because that's the last place you want to go. But that is where the spirit is leading. If you really want to be who God has invited you to be, you are filled with his spirit as you go where he leads. These last few years, way too much of my life has been spent in hospitals. Way too much. Children's hospitals and honestly mental hospitals. Way more than I'm comfortable. And I'm in elevators with people and whatever reason God allows me to be friends with somebody in like 30 seconds. So that's like four floors. And if we're going four floors, I'm in trouble. Because all of a sudden I'm hearing stories of people. And I can't get rid of those stories. They don't let you really wear headphones in the elevator at the hospital. And so all of a sudden you're hearing stories and you're praying for people and you're seeing the brokenness and you're seeing people who are in the hospital because like, because they didn't take care of their kid. But you still care about that kid and you still care about that parent and that messes up your mind. And then you see people in the hospital who they they did, they've done everything. They've gone bankrupt getting medical care for their children and all of a sudden systems that allow that you're just not okay with anymore. And as soon as you get one step into the, the treatment of mental illness in this country, you just realize this is broken. This is broken. And we don't know people by names. We know them by numbers. We know them by diagnosis. That God mu- must bring healing to this. And all of this stuff is contagious, guys. And so somebody's dealing with their trauma and their pain. And all of a sudden, everybody around them is dealing with trauma and pain. And the church doesn't know what to do, so we run away. But the Holy Spirit is there. What are the spaces where you have been led to go in that you don't want to go in? Because I'm telling you the way I grew up, I just talked to my mother about it. She's like, I never thought you would be in the spaces you're in, Matt. We raised you to avoid them. And I have to remind you, you did a wonderful job, Mom. You did. It's the rebellious nature in me that turns left every time you say right. And here I am. But the Lord is here with me. And who I was eight years ago, I would not want to go back. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be where he leads us to go. If we're going to be the church, that's what we do. That's the work that we do. Yes, we can pray for relief. We can pray for healing. They prayed. Bring signs and wonders. Bring healing. Bring wholeness. But bring boldness. And let's never pray for relief from circumstances so we can be just weak. Meek is beautiful. We don't need to be weak. The world doesn't need us to be nice. Friendly, loving. Let's stop being nice. And I'm like very guilty of that one. They proclaimed Jesus. They saw healing. They gained boldness. And and look what, 
what happens here. You read the end of Acts 4, and please again, re- read this chapter. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. That great power, the apostles were giving their testimony uh, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as, as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So this would be one thing if it was like us all in, in Louisville, right? And we're like, oh, let's look out for each other. But the context is very different. People were moving to be a part of what God was doing. People were physically leaving other countries and their people and their place and their culture to come be a part of this. Barnabas, in the very next verse, sold his fields uh, in the island. He had island land. And he sold it because he wanted to be a part of what God was doing. And his name was changed to son of encouragement, Barnabas, because it so encouraged the body that he wasn't like, hey, I'm going to rent a place and see if this works to be in this church, and then I've always got my way back. He was like, no, I sold it. I'm out. I sold it. I left my job. I left my security. I left everything to be a part of what God's doing here. The reason that they had to look out for each other is because people didn't have homes. I sold my home, and now I don't have one. I left my job, and now I don't have a job. And so they had the very real work of like, oh, 5,000 new people. Great, where are you going to live? Where are you going to eat? Where are you going to work? What kind of skills do you have? Okay, let me connect you with this. They became the great connectors. They became like the job sites was the church. You need work, and, and you need a blanket, and you need... And, and they just took care of one another. And there was no need. And these people from vastly different cultures and lands, different languages, all of this had one heart. They were brought that much to one. To me, this is, this is so encouraging. That there was something that God was doing in their midst that was so attractive that people were like, oh, I'm done with everything I've ever known. I'm packing up and starting over because I, there's healing there. There's wholeness there. I'm in. That's the work of the early church. That's what we get to do if we are the church. But one of the things that I know is true is we're like, wow, that sounds difficult. And that sounds awesome. But I don't even think that's who I am. I don't know that that's who I am. I don't know that I can do that. Just little old me and little old us, can, can we do that? Well, First John, this verse that I love, I've read it to you way too many times, says that he calls us children of God, and we are so because he said so. He calls you his child. We just sang it, right? He calls you his child, and the reason that you know that you are his child is because he calls you it. If you act different, that's on you. Come on, come on, silly kid. Come on, silly little son. Come on, silly little daughter. You are not because you behave so well or because you, you wore your nice shoes today or anything like that. You are his child because he called you 
his child. So what do you get when you have a collection of children? Peter talks about this. He's the one who denied Jesus over the fire and then boldly spoke in Acts 4. He says these beautiful words in 1 Peter 2. This is who God says we are. But you all are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but you are now God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that is true because he said so. And if we feel anything less than that, no shame on us, but maybe we need to sit before him until we feel like this is true. And maybe part of the reason we don't act like this is because we don't believe this is us. And part of the reason we get into all these deeper things is we're trying to argue that we can earn this. None of this is earned. None of this is because we deserve it. So I have a friend that I'm going to invite up to help explain. You, you know, usually in, in the sermon you have like that moment where you, you say like, hey, here's what it looks like. Well, I have a friend here, Nate, if you want to come up and join me. Nate knows some of these questions of when the church doesn't make sense and knows some of the beauty of, of this what God is doing, and, and so I invited him to just come up and, and share from, from his eyes. Uh, it's good to be here, and thank you for inviting, inviting me to, to say some words. Um, yeah, th this text in first, I'm trying to figure out how to use this mic. Is this right here? Just use it, he'll fix it. Okay, my bad. <laughs> Welcome to One Church. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I this text in verse First uh, Peter is just incredible for me. Uh, one of the beautiful things about the Word of God is that it's timeless and that it means timeless truths, but it's also very uniquely received in each and every person's life. And when I read First Peter and I see the part where it says, "Once you were not a people." but now you are a people. Um, I can't help but think of that in terms of my own experience. And um, in particular, my experience as somebody who's grown up feeling very different and very other, like I don't belong. Um, for as long as I can remember, I've felt different. I've felt um, like I am judged. Because uh, when I was a teenager, I realized that I was gay. And I was grown up in a church, grown up in a conservative home, and I knew that that was not good, that was not accepted, um, that those people went to hell. And um, it took a long time for me to learn how to reconcile my orientation, the way I experienced life with my faith. And I'm still, I'm still learning. Um, I've come a long way. I still have a long way to go. And uh, about 10 years ago, um, 
my wife and I decided that God was calling me to be more public, <laughs> to step out, to be, uh, to be a voice. And so we did that, and I did that. And, you know, we were talking this morning, Matt's talking this morning about the church and how, you know, how can Christianity make sense when the people that represent it just don't do what they're supposed to do sometimes. And as someone who is not straight, um, there's a long history of people in the church treating people like me poorly and in ways that marginalize me and make me feel less than and that rob me of my dignity. And that's something that I'm called to forgive. And I'm on a journey of learning what that forgiveness looks like. But it's also something that God is calling me to shine a light on and to, to highlight and to call people to repentance too. Because there's a lot of people out there who, for whatever reason, don't have what I've been blessed with. I've been blessed with a loving family, both my wife and kids, but also my parents are just my best friends. Um, they're very supportive of me and what I've been called to. I've got great friends as well. And so, you know, there's just so many people out there who don't have that. And um, my desire is for the church to, to repent, to, to learn how to show a costly love, to learn how to bear burdens of people like me um, who have not been blessed with the things that I've been blessed with. So we've been here at one church for three months or so. And the story of how we found one church and came to, to be regular tenders here. It's kind of strange, but um, it's just been amazing uh, to see the love and the um, just the grace of God poured out yes. here and poured yes. out to each other through yes. the people here. Yes. And so it's been very healing for us. And I just want to leave you with that word of encouragement to know that you are the body of Christ and that you have the ability through his grace to pour out grace among others that you cross paths with. And you never know the stories behind the faces and how that grace will be received, the wounds in those lives that might be bound up and healed through your words and your encouragement. So thank you. Thank you. you've gotten to spend some time with with Nate and his family uh, you've gotten to experience the love of Jesus and the fact that you you all haven't given up on the church I praise God for because of the church desperately needs your family and and the voice of of your entire family's experience. Um, and we heal together. And so thanks for your courage and thanks for blessing one church with being a part of us. Um, this calling that God put on the church, he hasn't lifted. He hasn't changed his mind. This is to be the place where people experience who Jesus is. 
This is to be the place where healing happens. This is to be the salt and the light. Not me on my own, us together being the salt and the light. The people will get rid of everything just to come home. We're to be the people who will risk everything to make safe space for one another. And where our first identity is, is daughter or son of the the king most high. And our first collective identity is this royal priesthood, this chosen nation, this body of Christ, this bride of Christ. That's, that's who we are. It's not beyond our reach. His spirit leads us into that. So in a moment, I'm gonna pray. There's some of you who may have been part of the hurting side of church. You may have, have, have made boundaries that Jesus didn't make. You may have pushed people out that he didn't push out. And if that's you, we're not offering you shame. We're offering you a place to repent. And so we're gonna have some people up praying and if I could have a, a couple extra leaders who would feel comfortable, um, we'll have some people praying and again, it's not a shameful thing. This is, repentance is, is part of our work, right? And it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And so if that's you, I want to encourage you, don't wait. Repent now. And I know, because I, I know a bit about our church and our story, there's a lot of us who've been hurt by the church. There's a lot of us that it takes a lot of courage to walk into a church. I've heard from way too many people, hey, if this one church doesn't work, I'm, I'm probably done with church. And that's because, like, there's pain here. And if that's you, I want to encourage you, don't hold that alone. God can heal what's painful and what's broken. That's why I want to encourage you. Nate, can I put you on the spot as well? Nate and Sarah, would you be willing to pray with people back here as well? Um, Thank you. There's a chance to pray with with some folks Um, if this is your church next week is our our becoming one class that's a time to say like hey this is me I'm here and in a moment after we pray we're going to receive our offering and we just wanted to remind this is what we're giving towards this is what we're called to this is what we're going towards and this is what we'll give towards so we'll we'll receive that offering in just a moment Um, but first let's let's worship There's people to pray with. Let let me pray over all of us as as a whole. Father, you still heal. And you call us to be what Peter described there, this royal priesthood, this holy nation. The salt and the light. I pray that we would have the courage to become that, that we would pray for boldness, that we would go where your spirit leads that we would become exactly who you've invited us to become and that we would risk it all to make room for one another. Thank you. Will you heal your church so we might look like your bride? Oh,
过。